Welcome to this edition of At The Mic. I'm your host, Keith Malinak. We got a twofer kind of day as I introduce you to two of my friends, Kimberly Hubbard and Jackie Daly. That's coming up next. But first, let's talk coffee. More specifically, American Pride Roasters coffee and their Teddy Roosevelt blend. You know, during Teddy's time in North Dakota, Roosevelt formed the Boone and Crockett Club, which still exists today, to help conserve natural resources and protect big game. Uh, later, as president, he signed into creation five national parks, 18 national monuments, 51 bird reserves, and 150 national forests. These are all incredible corners of our country that generations have enjoyed and continue to enjoy today. In honor of the man who set aside these areas for Americans to enjoy, APRCoffee.com has created a blend in his honor, a full city roasted Brazilian blend with a flavor as unique as America's 26th president. It's available at APRCoffee.com. And when you get ready to check out, don't forget promo code ATM. That stands for at the mic. You're going to get 10% off your entire order. That's the Teddy Roosevelt blend only available at APRCoffee.com. You're listening to At The Mic with Keith, an independent podcast production. A pair of ladies are my two guests for this week's special edition of At The Mic, a twofer as we begin to close out summer. My first guest is Kimberly Hubbard, who hails from Texas but worked in DC before finding her way back to the Lone Star State. Recently, we caught up at her home in Austin chatted about her time in the nation's capital, a book she wrote for her children, and the unique challenges of being a parent in the post-COVID world. Kimberly, thanks for making time. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me on. Absolutely. So I'm here uh, at your house in Austin, Texas, which <laughs> I feel so bad because you literally just moved in here like two weeks ago. <laughs> and it's like, oh, I'm going to be in Austin. Cool. Can I kind of come over? I know you haven't, you know, settled in and unpacked, but yeah, we still have boxes everywhere and sitting on a makeshift kitchen table. So. I love. It. Right, you want to describe uh, the setting here uh, that we're that we're sitting. Yeah, at? we're sitting in two office chairs, That's two awesome. kind of like cushy stools, uh -huh. a high chair in the background, and <laughs> no, I understand you're roughing it right now. Exactly, you're trying to just get. Hey, things. at least we have a roof over our head. Right. I'm thankful for that. You still have furniture that's wrapped in saran wrap over there. Cellophane. That, that's a mattress actually mattress over there. Over there. <laughs> the living room. Uh, I love this. Uh, you've got a uh, this coffee pot thing right here. Yeah, it's a water filter actually. Oh yeah. man, I think it's they're called Berkey water filters. They're supposed to filter out like chlorine and huh. things like that in your water. That huh? looks cool. Yeah. All huh? right. Very good. <laughs> Is that where this water came from? Right yes, out of that it tank? did. It did. It's delicious. Yeah. I, just, I, I hope you can taste a difference in it. Oh, yeah, it's good. And and, and now it's all over the questions, the, the piece of paper here. Wonderful. You're a Texas girl. You were born and raised in Fort Worth. Yes, I was. I'm a Texas girl through and through. But the way we met was basically through the world of politics. Mm -hmm. I work with Glenn Beck, and I would go through you to book interviews for Representative Louis Gohmert, yes, who Glenn rightfully adores. So it wasn't Louis Gohmert that got you to D.C. No, oh, no. What? So what took you up there originally then? So well, I graduated from Baylor University right. with a journalism degree. Okay, and I did an internship right after I graduated with the National Journalism Center. And I thought I was going to be up there for the summer. I worked for PBS, actually, for, as kind of a, the publicist section of it. Um, and right after that, that internship was over, I got a 
offered to go interview for her position at Fox News, like the national Fox News channel. Um, in around, New York? Uh, in D.C., in the okay, Washington, so like D.C. Okay, so D.C. Yeah. bureau or something? Yeah, and they had okay. an opening for a booker, like a media booker, uh-huh. and I interviewed for that, and it went well, and it was during the 2008 election when Barack Obama was running for president, so I thought, well, this is going to be a historic election. I would... You know, I can't turn down working at a news station, especially a national one uh, during this. And that's actually I didn't even think about going into politics, but that's kind of where I got my start and going to like the whole politics. So you weren't even into politics. Oh, no, I I wanted to do kind of public like be a publicist or, you know, media relations for like some type of organization. I never really thought about going into politics, but I think the politics bug kind of bit me when I was Hmm. working for Fox News. Okay, well, that makes sense. I'm sure you've crossed paths with plenty of people. Oh, yeah. Over the years. uh, any characters stand out, whether positively or negatively, then? I met a lot of different people, you know, coming in to and from the Fox News channel. I've gotten a lot of pictures with people. I met, you know, Senator John McCain. I took a picture with him. Met Romney, um, Sarah Palin, like, you know, all those. I guess they're not, like, super celebrities, but I guess <laughs> in the political world, they're celebrities. Sure. Um, no, I mean, I can't think of anyone who was I would okay. don't like, I, and I don't want to say it on air, either. So. <laughs> that's, what was, that's why I left the door open. I, I was mean, like, I hey, might is have there some anybody? impressions of some people, but I'm uh-huh. not going to share it. Okay, all right. Well, anybody then in a positive light that stands out in that world? Because I know that the examples are probably few and far between in the world of politics, but anybody making a, a positive impression? Oh, well, I mean, I know one of my favorite people working at Fox News was Shannon Bream. She okay. is so sweet, so, and she's a Christian lady, and very accommodating, very friendly. I, I just, she's one of my favorite personalities on Fox News. So. Okay, very good. So you have a younger sister named Kristen. I do, yes. Is she into politics as well, or what is she up to? Well, she actually, she lived in D.C. with me for about two years as a scheduler for a congressman. Oh, wow. Yeah, so she kind of followed in my footsteps, but she didn't like it as much. So (laughs) she worked for about two years for a congressman and then moved back to Texas. And she actually teaches at Texas A&M University now. She got out of D.C. She got out of D.C. quickly. She's (laughs) wise, right? So, So you and your husband are here in Austin now. We are. Did y'all meet up there then? Yeah, we met up in Washington, D.C. We actually met on a um, dating app or like a dating service, eHarmony, which I was kind of embarrassed at first to tell people where we met because it wasn't super big like when we met. No, no, no. (laughs) But now I feel like people are meeting left and right. I was just about to say, you would be surprised how many people sit at this microphone and have that same story where it used to be like you met online or you met through an app. That's more. That's a mainstream thing. That's a way to do it. It now. is now, yeah. Sure. But when telling people, I was really embarrassed. Right. At first. It, <laughs> so while it is a more common story, mm-hmm. it still probably causes just a tinge of pause when you say it out loud, right? Exactly. That's yes. Cool. That's cool. Now, is he into politics? What does he do? Um. Well, he's actually an attorney. So and his name's um, Taylor, right? His name's Taylor. Okay. Yes. Um. I mean, he he's always been interested in politics. He's never really worked in politics. Okay. Um. So he's kind of left that up to me. But um. Yeah. He's an attorney, so he kind of sticks to the law, huh? Basically. What, what kind of area of practice are we talking about? Uh. He does healthcare law. Hmm. Yeah. I was gonna say not as fascinating as no, politics. No. No. I was trying to figure out if I had any. Uh, you know, need of his services, but that's one. <laughs> you can ask him any time. No, I was just about to say I go to the knife quite a bit, but uh, so far, no, no need for a lawsuit. But I will keep hey, him in mind. Yeah, keep him in your Rolodex if, if that ever happens. Okay, so 
Grew up in Texas. Your earliest memory, going to SeaWorld and riding in a dolphin stroller? That sounds like fun. I know, I know. Was that SeaWorld San Antonio? Oh, yeah. It was totally SeaWorld San Antonio. (laughs) And yeah, and I don't know if it's just because I've seen tons of pictures of this trip, but it could always reckon your memories back. You're like, oh, I see my sister and I in a dolphin stroller. But Mm -hmm. I do remember actually going to the dolphin show and like, you know, having the waves splash on me. I think that's pretty cool as a a little girl to see all that happen. And I know now living in Austin, I want to take my son to SeaWorld San Antonio. I know they don't have the killer whales anymore, but. You know? I don't know if they do or not. Really? Isn't there a big stink about that? That seems familiar now that you say that. And they oh, I Blackfish, know. Yeah. whole documentary about it, I think. Is that it was killing people, I killing think, the trainers? I think so. That stinks, man. I know. Oh. I don't know. I don't know for certain if they don't have them there or not, but I'm, yeah. I'm guessing no. Yeah. Well, you, you talked about possibly taking your daughter there because you have... Your son, Joel, is four. Yes. And your daughter, Winnie, is how old is she? She's 18 months. 18 months. I met both of them and Taylor here before we got started. Adorable family. (laughs) Thank you. My kids are all redheads. The most beautiful kids. Um, Here's a question for you as a young parent. Yeah. In a post-2020 world, I cannot fathom the idea. My kids are all teenagers. They understand the world to a better degree than they would have 10, 15 years ago. How challenging is it, and maybe you can't answer this yet fully, how challenging is it being a young parent raising kids in this insane world? And it's not just pandemic related. It's across the board. I mean, you you draw an issue out of a hat and it's insane. How is it being a parent of a young child these days? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of given me heartache, honestly, to think about it. Um, You know, my son is four, so we haven't really gotten into a lot of issues that I think that we need to sit down and talk about. I try to limit his exposure to a lot of things that he sees. I mean, you can't just let them watch iPads and shows, you know, without a parental supervision, because even though if you think the show's safe, there might be a commercial that I disagree with or that doesn't follow like our values. So that's been a heartache and a struggle for me. So I essentially monitor everything that he watches and give him, you know, here's an hour screen time and you can't go beyond this app, you know, type thing. Um, that's mm-hmm. what I've been doing with him with Winnie. I mean, she's 18 months, so we'll come to that when it happens. But you know, there's also been a question in my mind, whether I should send him to public school or Christian school, because I mean, what public schools are teaching right now are so, you know, not in line with our values and our beliefs. Sure. So, um, he actually is going to start kindergarten in a year. So that's kind of a, a big question on my husband and I's mind right. right now is where to send him to school, because I don't want him to be indoctrinated by things that, you know, basically the government is teaching him. Right. I mean, that's completely understandable. And A lot of parents get accused of being helicopter parents. And I totally understand that definition. I understand how that works. But you almost have to be, at least to a certain degree, in the year 2021, a helicopter parent just to make sure that your kids who are being inundated with so much insanity on a regular basis you, you almost have to stand over their shoulder 24-7, 365, just to make sure that their entire childhood isn't about to be blasted out of the water by who knows what. For sure. I mean, even, you know, when I mentioned him watching his iPad, I mean, you can't control the commercials that are on in between certain, you know, mm. shows. And that's one thing that I'm running into right now as a problem is I'm like, I don't want him to watch these commercials because they're getting increasingly worse. The thought occurs to me now that you've said that I'm cheap. Okay. And I don't pay for commercial-free Hulu or commercial-free this. And that that might be something for a parent 
to consider, yeah. you know. And looking into like the apps that maybe block certain things huh. as well. I mean, I don't know them. I need to look into them yeah, more. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you're what I would call a proactive parent because you wrote an awesome book here. Tell us about this book that you wrote for parents such as yourself that have young kids that they care about. Yeah, so I book I wrote a book. It's called Crowned in Promise, 100 Prayers for Your Children. 100 Prayers for Your Children. Yes. Crowned in Promise. Crowned in Promise, yeah. And it, what it is is it's essentially a prayer book uh, full of 100 different prayers with different themes that you can pray over your children. That's great. Um, and I we use it as a nightly routine, but I mean, some parents could use it you know, during the morning to pray over their children. And this is really modeled after what my parents used to do with me hmm. and my sister. Um, they would do this at night. And my mom had a little book that she did it from. I, I think that they handed them out at church, at, like at our church. So it wasn't like widely distributed or anything like that. But it was kind of modeled the same way. I mean, it was shorter, but you would where you would read certain attributes like you know virtue or creativity or things like that over your children at night and it really it made a lasting impact on me I can still remember my parents kneeling at my bedside and praying over my sister and I and so when I sat down to write this book I actually did it as a personal book for myself to read over like Joel and Winnie and it actually turned into a a book that um, you know, a publisher thought would be handy for a lot of Christian parents. And so that's kind of the avenue that it went down. Yeah, I love it. Like the chapters are a different section. Like there's faith, virtue, creativity. And you've got the prayers. And within the prayers, uh, in parentheses, are the Bible verses that correspond with that specific prayer. It's really well done. Um, Thank how, you. How long did it take you to put that thing together? It took me a while. I would say probably a year to compile all wow. of it. And I, I honestly, like, I'm a working mom too. So I did it kind of during my son's nap breaks. I would sit down and like write on this, you know, book and compile it uh, together. But it was, I mean, it was refreshing for me to put it together as well, because as I was writing it, I know I was praying like these prayers over my son. Um, but yeah, it took me a little while, but I, I'm glad to see it in print and I'm glad to see it in so many hands of parents. Cause I really think of it as a ministry, a, a witnessing tool, and also as a tool to, you know, change children's perspective of the word of God. I mean, I know when I read these prayers over my son at night, even though he may not remember the prayers, he may not remember the Bible verses, he's, they're still being spoken over him. And he always, at the end, when it says in Jesus' name, amen, he always says that at the end with me. So That's it's cute. really become a routine for him. That's huh? great. Crowned in promise, 100 prayers for your children. Uh, Amazon, Barnes yeah, and Noble. Yeah, Amazon, okay. Barnes and Noble. Very yeah, cool. exactly. You mentioned in there that you're a working mom. So, you know, time is limited. It's precious and it goes so fast. Was it a job, though, that brought you back to Texas? It is, yes. Okay, so do you want to uh, enlighten us on, yeah. on who you work for now? So I work for the uh, Texas Attorney General, Ken Paxton. Ken Paxton, okay. Yes, and I Very do cool. uh, communications for him. Uh -huh. So whenever you hear him on a radio show or a television show, that's me that set that up. There you and go. <laughs> so that's kind of my function in that office. Very cool. And it's been a great experience so far. I, I like you know what he's standing up for. He's standing up for Texas. We've He sued the Biden administration five times over illegal immigration. <laughs> So we're we're off to a great start. Uh, he's not bashful. <laughs> no, he is definitely not. <laughs> uh, I like it though. Yeah, I, I, I'm sure that um, there's never a dull moment. Oh no, yeah. there's it's always very fast paced, especially with this administration now. Right, right. Okay. So what is that world like? I mean, obviously, fast paced. You've written speeches, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. You write speeches. I write speeches still now. Today. Yes, yes, I do. Okay. Huh? Do they ever get 
picked apart and completely changed by the time they're delivered? And if so, how does that make you feel? I mean, I think I've gotten used to it at this point because I've worked in the world of uh, political communication yeah, for a while. You know so goes. you kind of know people are going to edit your things. And then when you're working, you know, with a big legal, you know, institution like the attorney general's office, you know, lawyers are going to look at your thing, whatever you write and mm. kind of pick apart for accuracy as well. Um, yeah, but- how many hands does a political speech and maybe it varies depending on if you're writing a speech for a local mayor or the president of the United States. How many hands do speeches go yeah, through? Yeah, I would say depending on the event, the speech t- definitely goes through three to four hands by the time it gets up to the top. Okay, so in your case, how does it come together? Does somebody send you some points they want to make and then you like how's the process so I'm usually the first draft of everything so I'm told what the event is and um just kind of start writing on it type thing so I I feel like communications people have to be an expert in a lot of different things and so if you don't know about that topic you're definitely going to research about it and learn about it a lot I can't imagine writing a speech before Google (laughs) you know yeah Google is very helpful now (laughs) so uh I, I bet I bet in the past people had like Encyclopedia. Encyclopedia Britannica is laid out on a big dining room table or something. (laughs) Which I still remember writing from the encyclopedia in school. And I thought it was awesome. I had the world book set my grandparents got me. Thanks, Nana. (laughs) Um, So how much time do you typically get before that kind of an assignment is due? I would say several days. Hmm. So I'll have several days to work on it. Although, you know, there are, you know, issues or things that pop up that you may have a tight deadline on. So I'm, I'm used to working on tight deadlines. You know, if this needs to be due by, you know, 5 PM today, because it needs to be in, you know, these, this person's hands by this time. So I definitely am used to working in deadlines and jotting things down and crossing them off. And you know, that's, that's my daily life. (laughs) When you were a kid though, Politics was probably the furthest thing from your mind. Oh, totally. You I wanted had, to be a veterinarian, right? I did want to be a vet. <laughs> you love animals. I did. And and I, in fact, we've got an animal right here, a precious dog, a Rottweiler, yes. bear. Bear. How yes. you doing over there, girl? She's probably 100 pounds, sweet thing. <laughs> but, but you said she's lost weight, right? <laughs> she's lost probably 30 pounds. since She's a rescue dog. And uh-huh. so we got her from the pound in Virginia before we moved, um, well, six months ago. And um, she is, yeah, she's precious. She needed a home. And she's and, sound asleep right now. She's sound asleep. I said her name. She didn't even lift her head. <laughs> no. I don't want to She's probably five her. years old. <laughs> okay. Look, I mean, she's a sweetheart, clearly. Well, she's a sweetheart, but she's also a great watchdog. And if she needs to prove she's a Rottweiler, she will stand up and her hair will <laughs> sit up on her nice. back, too. <laughs> okay, good. Well, I mean, I'm, boy, I would never want to tangle with her. She is, she's well <laughs> she's, built. She's a big girl. She's <laughs> well built. No and she would win a lot of fights. Mm-hmm. Um, so I interrupted you there. You were talking about when you were a kid, you wanted to be a veterinarian. Yes. How did you fall in love with animals then? I think I've always liked animals. I mean, I, I, I feel like it's good when you grow up with animals. And that's right. why I always want to have an animal in the house for my kids. But, you know, we grew up, I had three cats, a dog. Mm. Um, so I've always loved them and I wanted to, you know, help them. But I think when I found out that some dogs don't get better, that kind of deterred me of not wanting to be a veterinarian because I didn't want to go into that aspect of sure. everything. I just yeah. wanted them to be happy and healthy. Yeah. Well, I'll just, just always think of the rainbow bridge, Kimberly. There's <laughs> no, always the, I know. Right? That's, that's okay. So being that you're a young parent, I know your time is limited. I mean, you're a working mom. You have two small children. I want you to know that you're never going to get more time than you have right now. But sorry. I mean, <laughs> Carrie sad. and I, we used to, right. Like, cause I would work in the mornings on the morning show with Pat Gray in Houston 20 years ago. 
And before we had kids, I mean, we'd, we'd go to the bagel shop, you know, on Saturday mornings. We'd go see a matinee on Friday afternoons. But once you have kids, man, they're your schedule makers. Oh, yes. So if you do get any free time, what is it you like to do? You know, you have a couple hobbies. Do you get to paint any anymore? <laughs> well, I mean, I don't think I probably painted in the past year, but I do like uh-huh. painting. I feel like before kids, I would just, you know, on a Saturday be like, oh, let me take a canvas out and, you know, paint something. Right. But <laughs> I definitely a... don't see that happening no, no, no. very often now. Go ahead and buy yourself a calendar for 2040. Exactly. And that's you when know, you Joel can plan starts your next ball one. soon. So I'm right. like, that's going to take up our Saturdays from here on out as oh, well. Yeah. Yeah, but hey, I love, I love, you know, being a part of their life sure. and watching them oh, grow up. I wouldn't up. trade it for the world. So I guess Absolutely. I would say that's kind of my hobby right now is like watching my kids mm-hmm. and having them succeed and excel in what they want to. Exactly. No, that's that's awesome. Do you write poetry? I do write poetry, yes. I actually have like volumes, binders full of poetry so that I've So have you written. done anything with, with this I stuff? haven't. And that's kind of been my next thing is I'm like, well, maybe I could put a poetry book together because I, I write say. a lot of Christian poetry. That's exactly yeah. what I was going to say. Do you have a second book in the works? I would hope so. I mean, I haven't really sat down and thought about okay. what type of book it would be, but I mean, I would definitely love to write another one. And poetry is something that's, you know, a passion of mine. And I have volumes of Christian po- poems that I've written. So who's your favorite poet? If you had to, if you had to pick one. Yeah. I don't know if I would pick a poet. I like a lot of Christian authors that okay. I think that their work is almost like poetry to me. Um, you know, like I like Emily, uh, what's her name? Vaughn Camp. I love her poet, like her, her books. I think the way that she writes is very poetic. So I like that. I mean, um, I, I also love, you know, just listening to sermons too. Like I would think that they're not poets, but like Michael Youssef, like when I listen to his sermons, I almost feel like it's poetry to me that he's mm. so passionate. Okay. So, um, you know, I, I listen to a lot of sermons and I think that that inspires me to write poetry. And not that you have time to read anymore, <laughs> but uh, when you did, who are some of your favorite authors? What were some, do you have a favorite book? Uh, well, I know growing up, Weathering Heights was my favorite book. And that's almost like poetic, too, because it's a love story between two people mm-hmm. who can't be together. And I remember reading it and just like crying and the pages were full of my tears and crinkled. And Do I was you like, still oh my have goodness. this book somewhere? My mom the... has it at her house. Yes. And, and I told, all her, crinkled I with told her not to throw it away because I was like, I love to just look oh. back and know that I cried through that book. Wow. <laughs> that's so that's cool. <laughs> that's cool that, that your mom's got that token from your childhood. <laughs> Yes. And you'll be collecting those from Joel and Winnie, you know, as the years Hopefully. go on. I'm going to have to teach them to read more. Everything's so iPad based. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we were actually, we were trying to read books last night because the lights were out because we had a thunderstorm here and we were mm. sitting by candlelight reading Dr. Seuss books. So, oh. <laughs> Oh, that's a great... See, that's a great memory. <laughs> Do you have a picture of it? I Probably. My husband takes photos good, of everything. Good, 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 good. <laughs> yes, yes. Okay. Well, it's true because as you said that, Because I was saying, you're going to be collecting mementos from their childhood, the way your mom is hanging on to that Wuthering Heights book. But then you made a very profound statement that I hadn't considered. Yeah, everything's so digital now. There's not really a hard copy of, from movies to books to, I, I hope that they're drawing for you coloring oh yes i mean yeah i've I've tried to but i mean sometimes there's tablets where you can draw on tablets and i'm like what in the world how do you keep these things and is it am i i don't want to say depressed but am i getting very nostalgic right now because i'm too much of a hoarder of my kids childhood memories or 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 is it that we've just 
we're really losing that element of our society. I think that we're losing it and it's sad. I mean, you know, when I feel like it's cool, my son sitting in bed with a flashlight looking at pages of books. I mean, that's sad when you think that that's an awesome thing because everything's so internet based. I mean, even newspapers, you know, let's, we go to our morning news on the computer and I used to look at newspapers, you know, more. There's no hard copies of anything. Because I remember after 9-11, I would print up, I think for the next year, I think after September 11th, I think through 2000, maybe two or three, this is how weird I am. I have these accordion folders and I would print up, because I was a producer, so I would go through this stuff and I would save some of these just for posterity, really, for no real reason other than just a snapshot in time because we had just gone through such a catastrophic event a a a nation changing event of 9 11 yeah and i would print up and i kept these files um you know stories about national security stories directly related to the war on terror uh stories related to um, personal freedoms and i've got these binders and it's five accordion folders full so you know it was a few years i guess after 9 11 and then I got to the point where I just stopped because it's like, dude, what yeah. are you going to keep printing stuff up? So there is the aspect of digital helping you. I didn't, I didn't keep saving it digitally. For so. sure. I, I used to have a Rolodex on my desk with like contacts and numbers mm-hmm. and things like that. And you use your phone for it now. But I mean, yeah. there. But you see, I've left my phone on a bus once mm-hmm. in New Jersey. And then you New can Jersey. lose everything. And so it's so easy. Or... We're one EMP bomb away from <laughs> losing so much. Yes. I mean, so you know, true. It's scary. It, like, seriously, if, if an EMP went off, how much would we lose? Quite a bit. So, I guess if it's not backed up on iCloud. Right. So, I guess those of us that print stuff up, well, I guess. <laughs> We'll be We're the, the smarter ones, We'll be right? the ones writing history, won't we? <laughs> anyway, I, I don't know. Just uh, sorry for the aside there, but my, my brain just kind of went wild when you were talking about how everything's so digital. And it's scary to think of how digital everything is. Right down to our vehicles won't run without computers. And Oh, no. Oh, boy. I should <laughs> buy a horse. go down that hole. <laughs> yeah, I should buy a horse and a buggy. Just, I mean, just to be safe. Right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, just have the, it parked in your backyard. That's, that's, that's the uh, Boy Scout to me. Always be prepared talking. Or is it the hoarder? I don't know. The prepper. Um, okay. All right. Let's talk about your, your five possessions on a deserted island. Because, <laughs> see, people were answering this question, and I didn't put deserted island on there. Okay? And so the answers were, because the purpose of the question, uh, what I was thinking of was a deserted island. But I never put that in the question until recently. Okay. Okay. But that doesn't help your case with your answers. <laughs> I know. Like I- this. This seems like um, this would be on uh, on just a regular thing. Regular, you know, it's just five possessions. Anyway, here we go. Okay, water. I mean, that's <laughs> hey, fair. You need that, right? I, I'm not going to argue with it. You're on a deserted island, Keith. So go with it. A knife that makes sense. Your Bible, sure. Chapstick is. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not mocking that one. In fact, it was a recent. Good, yeah, it good. was a recent answer on this podcast that somebody came up with, and I was like, "That is, because chapstick is so underrated. It's it awesome. should cost twenty dollars a stick. It really should. Um, so universal. Maybe. And and when I find when I find a brand that I like, I literally buy a dozen of them and I put them everywhere. 
at work in a desk drawer, in my car, in my wife's car, uh, in the kitchen drawer, especially when it's spaghetti night, you know, that comes in handy. <laughs> um, but, but they stopped making, uh, try to think of the brand that I really like, but they stopped making it. And you would go to eBay or something and look for it and they'd be selling it for sure, 25 bucks if you want it. And so I had to go on this hunt for a new brand because I had oh, a do- that's awful. Right. I hate looking for new brands. Right? Yes. And I had a dozen of these, but eventually they all went away and I wasn't paying, you know, 50 bucks. I mean, there were some of them. You should have said it was ridiculous for because sure. they You're knew like, they were for chapstick. No, thank you. They knew they weren't making them anymore <laughs> and they could get that. So I had to go on a hunt and actually my wife ended up finding this. Uh, so now I use O'Keefe's lip oh, repair. Oh, wow. That looks intense. It's pretty good. It's, you know, it's the orange tube I'll with the blue to top. I'll yeah, huh? I'm going to use it right now. <laughs> but, I always just get the chapstick brand, but I buy like tons of them and they're everywhere. Right. Right. Well, it was Neutrogena is, is they stopped making it. They turned it into a, from a squeezable tube. They turned it into a thing. You dip your finger in and stuff. Oh yeah. I'm yeah. That's that. no, that's too much work. That huh? is too much work. And then your work. hands get all messy and you're like, no, thank you. Your hands get messy. You need two hands to apply. It's just ridiculous. So Neutrogena lip repair or whatever it was, if you're listening, still bitter about that. But O'Keefe's is the way to go. So chapstick, I wouldn't fault you because you don't want to be miserable when you're on this deserted island. No. And hey, if the sun's shining on you, you don't want your lips to get all chapped. Like you got to put the moisture on there. Mm-hmm. So Bible, knife, water, chapstick. Do you remember your fifth answer? Because I don't understand I do it at all. I remember my fifth answer. What? Why do you need mascara on a deserted <laughs> okay, island? This is my thing. This is just me personally, but I have red eyelashes and it bugs me. I have mascara on right now. You're looking at me all crazy. I'm trying to see what's going on there. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't, that's always been a thing of mine since I started wearing makeup is I was like, I love putting mascara on. Like it just makes my eyes stand out more. Maybe, you know, no one's looking at me there. For who? The coconut tree? <laughs> I guess. What? The coconut tree can be like, wow, she's got some great eyelashes. <laughs> it just makes me feel better about myself. So, okay. you know. I, to each his own. <laughs> to each her own. Okay. I just thought that that really stood out because after I read your answers, I said, oh, is this the old email that, you know, I didn't update this with deserted island. And I looked right above the question. I said, no, it says deserted island. I stand by my mascara. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Okay. um, The most scared you've ever been. You and your sister were home alone and you thought somebody was breaking into your yes. house? Yes. And I, to this day, I don't know if someone was. Like, it was really scary. Wow. Um, we were actually, yeah, we were at home doing homework. It was when we were in high school. And my mom was actually, I think my dad was on a business trip and my mom was up at our school working on, she, used, she was like PTA president and all the like, you know, Miss awesome mom but so she was up there working on a theater set like painting with some of the moms and so my sister and I were home alone and we saw like the back gate kind of shaking and I just I think I just started flipping out because we were by ourselves and you know me being the smart person that I am I told my sister to run outside and jump in my car and we were gonna like drive up to the school wow so you were a teenager then I was a teenager yeah and then you know we drove up to the school like super fast and I was like that probably was a dumb idea like getting out of the house and getting in the garage and like getting in the car I'm not sure but we drove off and the police actually ended up coming and like looking at our house but to this day I don't know if somebody was there but I just remember my heart pounding being like oh, yeah. what am I gonna do if some, something was like it this windy happens. maybe that made the gate move I probably maybe it was I, I don't, don't know. know this like 17 year old Kimmy thinking this so. oh sure I mean because I, I had a flashback when I read your answer um I was 10 years old or so and I remember I was home alone after school 
and I heard footsteps. My bedroom was on this long hallway in our old house, and I just knew somebody was walking down toward my bedroom, and I called her um, from my bedroom. I I remember I (laughs) I had a phone in there that I never used. She had to be terrified. Like, what? <laughs> like, no. What? And, and so eventually I just, I realized there was no one in the house. It was impossible that someone was in the house. I just don't know. It's just the, I mean, I'm embarrassed telling the story today because I just feel like I put my mom into an unnecessary panic. Oh, yeah. But I mean, you talk about that heart pounding and you can hear yourself breathing. Yes. And it's just. And you start like picturing scenarios in your head and what you're going to do and like what you're, you know, if this person does this, like how am I going to respond? Yeah. Stay armed. Yeah, citizens. exactly. Stay, Stay armed. armed. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I was just, now, now I'm thinking back to this phone that was pointlessly in my room. <laughs> I'm just thinking back to my childhood. Like literally I had a Domino's pizza sticker on it with the Noid. Oh, Remember that guy? Oh no, yeah. you're too young. The Noid. You're the Noid. What? He was you there. You gotta describe him to me. Uh... <laughs> Hold on. Okay. Let's see. The Noid. I'm going to play a little commercial for you here. <laughs> it was the worst ad campaign ever, but boy, us kids who, you know, Love didn't pay for pizza exactly. are the ones that uh, showed up in a cartoon. What is this? Oh. See this guy? I didn't know that was his name. Yeah, okay. Here's just a com- commercial like here. a bunny or something. Yeah. <laughs> Wait. Okay. Hang on. Aren't YouTube ads... It's a first world problem. Aren't they the most annoying thing? Yes. <laughs> oh my. Oh my. Wow. Kind of looks like a bunny with those ears. Kind of weird, right? Yes. <laughs> so anyway, that's my childhood. Someone... Not walking down a hallway to my room where a phone was. It was like a puke yellow color too. The phone with a. Thanks for indulging me oh, on yeah. my uh, on my memories. I had a lip phone with like you know like oh two lips. like a mouth or oh, whatever, yeah. and you'd put the so the top lip was the phone. Yes, and I thought and, it was awesome. And the bottom lip was the yes. was the base. Yes, that is awesome. <laughs> Do you remember cool. the shoe phone, the Nike shoe, or let's see, the um, Sports Illustrated shoe phone? You would order a subscription to Sports Illustrated, and they send you a, a phone that was a shoe. That's awesome. And so the shoe would sit on your counter, at least at my house, <laughs> and you would pick it up, and like the little keypad was on there, and then you just sit it back down. I love that. <laughs> see, that's we've. This kind of goes full circle. As times have changed, we've lost the landline. Mm-hmm. And so we've lost the cool-looking phones. Yeah. I think that may be the biggest travesty of how our world has evolved in the last 20, 30 years. Oh, I know. Now they have those things on Amazon where you can actually get a phone and like plug it into your cell phone to where you are acting like you're talking on a phone. I looked this up, and it looks like you're on a phone, but you're actually plugged into your cell phone. I've never it tried works, one. though? It works, apparently. I've never tried it, but it looked pretty cool. That's kind of cool. Did Bear just snore? Yes, she just snored in the background. <laughs> She just snored. We're boring her. Sorry. Sorry, Bear. Good girl. Boy, she is. She is passed out. <laughs> okay, so this may not seem like an interesting fact on paper, but it actually is. Your hair is naturally curly. 
It is, yeah. How much work do you go through? Because I don't know that I... Have you ever had curly hair? Like, I, well, actually, in high school and in college, I wore okay, curly. But not since but I've not ever since known you. not since you've known me, yeah. no. And all my pictures, I have straight hair. Sure. But yeah, I have to, you know, I have to blow dry it in the morning, flat iron it. How long does that take? It, well, I've gotten it down to an art now. It used to take me a lot longer, but now, it, you know, I do it every morning. So it doesn't... You're like, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes. You could just go bald like me and it won't even be an issue. <laughs> But yeah, girls have it rough. We always have to fix our hair and makeup. Seriously. <laughs> so I, that is fascinating. As people will see on the thumbnail of this podcast, that, that, that you are naturally curly. Yeah, it's pretty curly too. Like oh my ring gosh. like curly. Yeah. So how long do you, like, if you just don't touch it, right? Uh huh. How long before it's crazy curly again oh like if it's, if it's wet no, if it's wet it'll just like curl huh. up usually on the weekends i wear it curly because i don't want to fix my hair so okay <laughs> got it all right very good um let's see here biggest turning point in your life following christ and living on your own did those happen at the same time or no they actually happened at different times but i was like you know i could think of Following Christ was like the biggest turning point in my life. I will say that. But then also when I branched out on my own was also a turning point as well because you have to be responsible for yourself and you have to be responsible for your own walk with Christ. Like you don't have anyone holding you accountable to it because, you know, my mom was always pressuring me when I lived at home. Like, have you done your Bible study? You know, have you done, you know, these type of things? I didn't have anyone reminding me when I moved out on my mm. own. So, um, you know, it was definitely, it took its bare snores in the background again. <laughs> yeah. It took, you know, a lot of self-discipline in order to, um, you know, continue the things that I had been doing, continuing to, you know, be in the word, continuing to um, cover myself in Christ daily. Working in Washington, D.C., would you say that presented, and I'm just being presumptuous here, the biggest challenge to your walk and to your... Um, I don't know, because you just hear all of the things about D.C. Yeah. and how much it's a cesspool and how something like House of Cards, there was a senator that said that House of Cards is tame compared to how Washington, D.C. really is. Yeah. So what was your experience up there? I mean, I think my experience was different because I knew moving to a city that I was going to be faced with a lot of challenges. So I tried to, I guess, plug myself into groups of friends that I knew were not into, you know, those type of things. So, you know, I got myself involved in a church mm. and I made friends there. Um, and also I was lucky to work for an office that, uh, my boss was, you know, Christian and he like, I mean, he didn't allow alcohol in his office. Like he's, he Whoa. was very, you know, very, let's follow the rules. Like that's, you know, be an example to others. So oh, I think it a was like very nice having a boss who, um, actually valued those types of, um, relationships and yeah, those types of things. That'd be so. a deal breaker for me though. <laughs> Sorry. Talking about Louis Gomer. Yeah, exactly. I love Louis. He's awesome. How, how's he doing? Because you're not, you don't work for him anymore. Yeah, I think so. he's doing great. He's still, you know, I, I still keep an eye on him and he seems like he's still making waves in Washington, D.C. So, yeah. and that's, you know, that's what he does and that's what he does well. He is, he's sincerely a, a super nice guy. Um, I remember when my early days with Glenn, I was the call screener and, you know, I would book the guests and stuff like that. And I remember sometimes Glenn would say something, Glenn Beck would say something on the air and he would ask a question, just, you know, like, I don't know if it's uh, this or that. Something to do with D.C., something to do with Congress, something like that. <laughs> I love Louis so much. He would call the hotline that he would have gotten from you from a guest appearance. Yes. And 
we're talking, you know, months removed from when he was last on the show. He would just call the hotline and give me some information to pass on to oh, Glenn yeah. to set him straight or to answer a question that he had just, you know, spoken out into the universe. And I just, I just he loved him that for that. He does that a lot. He's yeah. great. He's great. In fact, my oldest daughter, one of her best memories was election night 2012. He was hanging out with us at the Blaze, Representative Gomert. And he gave her this astronaut pin, you know, that, that you could write upside down on oh, with. Yes, and those stuff. are cool pins. So cool. Sure. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Uh, so, anyway, he's just. That's awesome. He is a sincere gem uh, uh, of a representative. So, if you could go back in history and meet anybody, uh, I totally understand the answer, Billy Graham. Yes. Who's Jim Elliott? Jim Elliott, he was uh, the missionary that was killed, um, what, when he was 20-something? Elizabeth Elliott is his wife. Wait a uh, minute. Not that long ago, right? Yeah, not very long ago. Yeah, I don't know, I know when the it story. Was, huh? um, oh. But, you know, I read some of his writings and yeah. like from his diary, and I'm like, he seems like a stellar individual. And his wife is amazing. Like, I've read a ton of her books. And um, I, you know, I have a lot of name. her quotes that I've you know read, too, that I'm like, wow, she's a great person. And the, what she says about her husband, I'm like, I would love to sit down and just talk with him. Man. Because he seems so centered and so focused on what he was doing. Yeah. Okay. That's a good answer. I, I wish I hadn't have forgotten his name. You're right. Let's take you back to junior high. <laughs> <laughs> what is this? You, you, your most embarrassing moment? You slipped in a mud puddle in front of yes. the high school football team? Or in front of the football it was, team? Oh my goodness. It was so traumatic for me as a junior high right. girl. Isn't that funny <laughs> to, to think back to the, some of the stuff that just ruined our world that was so devastating that today you'd be like, eh, I, I should have just oh, owned I know. it. And if I did that today, I'd be like, I wouldn't be embarrassed at all. But you know, then it was sure. everything. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I was, I, so I was practicing for softball cause I used to play softball and we were doing some laps around the track and it had rained the day before. And, you know, I think I was probably like trying to like be impressive. Like I could oh, run no. really fast and I just, like slipped in this puddle on the track and, oh. and like landed on my back. I was like covered in mud. And I mean, no one laughed at me, but I was just like, oh my gosh, everyone has right. seen this. And then I had to I go back and change my clothes and all the clothes I had were like sweatpants and a sweatshirt. And this was like Texas summer type out. And I was like, oh my goodness, I look so dumb. Then oh. <laughs> my hair had all mud in it. It was just a bad <laughs> afternoon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I'll never be able to live this down. Exactly. But I think like no one mentioned it after that, but it was like so embarrassing at the yeah. time. No, I, I understand. <laughs> I, I mean... Middle school is traumatic enough as it is. For sure. Like, I remember when I was in middle school and I, my sideburns would grow faster than, like, the rest of my hair. <laughs> Little did I know then. I should have, should have seen my hair as a blessing. <laughs> but I, I remember cutting my sideburns and then they were uneven. And so then you had to go up high on the one and that was too high. And then I kept going up and I looked like a freaking mushroom. <laughs> I remember because we were trying to sell our house at the time. My parents were trying to sell the house. And I remember having done this to myself and looking in the mirror and going, how long is this going to take to grow back? I, I can't, I'm not allowed to wear a hat in school. I look like a mushroom. <laughs> and, and then I convinced myself, eh, you know what? That's not, you know, it's not that bad. I got this. It's, it's not, not that, that bad. bad. It's not yeah, that bad, exactly. right? The first human being that I interacted with after this. I came downstairs after having butchered my noggin. I come downstairs, the real estate agent who was over there for, I don't know, we we're about to have an open house or something like that. She stops me, like she physically stops me as I come down the stairs and she 
takes, she's jarred. She steps back. She goes, who cuts your hair? <laughs> and I thought, oh, no. Not helping your case. Oh, no. Oh, this is bad. And it was a Saturday. It was a Saturday morning. And I thought, okay, I got two days to, to figure this out. You know, and it was... It was a bad couple of weeks. Oh, put man. it that way. I, uh, That's rough. I should not be trusted with any sharp objects. Um, whatsoever. I actually cut my husband's hair now. So, oh, yeah? yeah. <laughs> he seems to be kind of okay with it. So. Yeah. Well, I mean, if he's like me, he'll just get to the point where it's just, you know, uh, just straight razor. Yeah, exactly. Here I go. <laughs> All right. I've lost this battle. Anyway. Um, okay. So kudos to Taylor for having hair. <laughs> that that grows enough to be cut. <laughs> so let's see if your answer has changed since you replied to this email. Wait a minute. Probably not since you just replied to it the other day. <laughs> what? I'm, I'm nervous about which one this is now. Well, what's in your Amazon cart? Oh. Cute outfits for your kid? Yes. I will say that at any given time, I probably have some cute outfits in my cart that I'm like, mm, I'm just going to hold off on buying these. And now with a little girl, like they have so much cuter clothes that I'm just, it's kind of... It's a bad situation for me right now. Here's but. the trick for that, okay? <laughs> With the Amazon cart and stuff. You buy it immediately. Because if you put a bunch of stuff in your cart, the price adds up. That's true. And then you get to the cart and you go, whoa, yes. grand total of what? But that's, if you buy it... a good trick. If you buy it immediately... I don't think my husband would like that. Right. I mean, much. you'll go bankrupt, <laughs> yeah, exactly. but at least, you know, you won't have order, to sit there order, and order. dwell on this uh, cost that's uh, true. being prohibitive. <laughs> Um, okay. Anything we haven't covered yet? Uh, I don't think covered so. Covered a lot of ground yeah. there. Okay. Don't forget the great book. I just love this. Crowned in Promise, 100 Prayers for Your Children. Yes. Every possible category. You know, no, that, there's 100 different uh, categories uh -huh. in there. And, and it's actually more than 100 prayers. Yeah. You know, it's just, it's actually a hundred sections 100 with se multiple prayers. Yes. And, and I mean, they also have Bible verses intertwined in them. So you know that when you're praying these, these prayers of your kids that you are actually incorporating the word of God over them. And I think that that's very, very important to me is that reading the word of God over your children, because not only will they remember it, but you're also claiming a promise that God has had in his, in his word. Yeah. There are a hundred prayers, but there's more than a hundred references to the Bible and to yes, the scriptures uh, that you're drawing from. Oh, yes. Like is, each prayer has probably three or four Bible verses incorporated in it. Uh, mm -hmm. That's awesome. Righteousness, boldness. And, and I would suggest, I mean, if you get it, like to use it as a routine for your children too, because children love routines. And I will say that my son asked to read this book every single night when he lays down. He's like, let's read the prayer book. That's and, great. you know, it's a great way to train your kids in the Lord. That is great. Let's see here. The only place you are on social media is Twitter. Yeah, Twitter. I'm on Twitter at, at Kimmy Willingham. I haven't changed my, my married name yet. Okay. So, uh, K-I-M-I Willingham. But how long have you been married? Five years since. <laughs> may want to put that on the to-do list. I know. I, I don't know. But not till after this podcast airs or else people can't find you. Hey, I'm going by Kimberly Hubbard at work, so you can't blame me I mean, too much. <laughs> so while, while I'm telling you to change this, I'm saying, but wait, wait, wait until this post, then you can change it. So uh, anyhow. But you can type in Kimberly Willingham Hubbard and I'll probably pop up in Google. Crowned in Promise, 100 Prayers for Your Children on Amazon. Excellent book and all the best to you. Oh, thank you. Thanks for sitting down with me. Thanks for opening up your home. I appreciate it. Of course. I'm glad to have you over. I'm, I'm just sorry that, that, that we put Bear to sleep over there. <laughs> She's bored. She <laughs> is not into it. Thanks so much, Kimberly. Thank you so much. I had a good time sitting down with Kimberly uh, in her kitchen 
snoring pooch and all. <laughs> Please do check out her book, Crowned in Promise, 100 Prayers for Your Children. Look for the link inside the podcast description. Stick around because my conversation with Jackie Daly is coming right up. But first I want to tell you about dog treats that make my dogs Tanner and Matilda go wild. And the cool thing is these CBD infused treats from Dr. Monroe's CBD.com, they're good for them too. And they're infused with CBD and they're made with 90% beef, no fillers, you cannot beat it. And pet drops, those are available too. If your dog or your cat suffer from anxiety or aching joints, this may be exactly what they need. Just a very good product for your pets who, admit it, are important members of your family. Order now at DrMonroe'sCBD.com. Use offer code Keith, K-E-I-T-H. You're going to get 15% off your order. Also know that 20% of what you spend is going to the Child Help Organization to assist kids in need who have been abused or neglected. That's DrMonroe'sCBD.com. You're listening to At The Mic with Keith, an independent podcast production. Next up on the special two-for edition of At The Mic, Blaze personality and attorney Jackie Daly. Jackie grew up in the Appalachian Mountains. She toured the world and has had some amazing luck along the way. Recently, she sat down with me at the Blaze TV and radio studios in Irving, Texas and shared her story. Jackie, thanks so much for making time. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. You host the Jackie Daly Show. I do. Which is spelled J-A-C-K-I. Yes. And then Daly, D-A-I-L-Y. Like every day. Like every day. Okay, cool. So I'm sure many people are familiar with you and the work that you do over there. I was really excited to learn that you grew up in the Appalachian area of what, Ohio, West Virginia, Kentucky area. And I am reading a book right now called The Pioneers. Yes. Which starts out just basically, you know, they're, they're exploring the Northwest Territory. Mm-hmm. And that, that area right there is really focused on, and it just sounds, I mean, what the pioneers went through to, to pave the way in this country for the rest of us is just fascinating. It's the beautiful part of Ohio is what I like to call it. Most people think Ohio is flat. Most of it is. It's cornfields and tornadoes. But <laughs> if you get down to the very southeastern section where the glacier actually stopped when it came down from Canada, it pushed all the hills down. You get the Appalachian Mountains right there in West Virginia yeah. across the river. West Virginia is nothing but a mountain. Uh-huh. One big mountain, right? Uh, <laughs> to divide it up into its pieces. And so um, it's the pretty part. Rolling hills. I love it. It's so pretty. Yeah. I mean, that's the best thing about it. If you, if you ever go... Go in the fall. Mm-hmm. Go at the end of October when the leaves are beautiful. People who go there say it is as good as Vermont or anywhere in the Northeast. You are you are in the Northeast proper in terms of foliage. So check it out. It's worth it. We actually were going to spend a lot of time up there around a U2 concert. <laughs> you know? I've been to a few myself. Uh-huh. Yeah, we uh-huh. were going to go to Pittsburgh and we were going to okay. drive yes. around that entire area. Right. And I got a job out of state about a month before the concert. And so I had to sell the tickets and I wasn't able to make it up there. But just the parts of it that I read about, it sounds like, cause I'm a mountain guy. Okay. I love mountains and I'm from the South. And so that whole West Virginia, Kentucky corner right there where they all meet um, is my cup of tea. So I definitely want to get up there 
and during the fall, like you suggest there, would yeah. be ideal. So you were born there. You were raised there. You actually ended up going to Marshall University. Correct. In Huntington, right? That's right. Okay. But that's not where your education stopped. No. You did a lot of international travel after that. Yeah. 40 countries. That had to be culture shock, I guess, to one degree or another, but it had to be quite an experience and a, and a, and a dichotomy from what you were used to, huh? Well, back in those days, um, you know, you could travel alone safely in Europe. I would not do today mm-hmm. what I did back then. It, it pains me to say that, yeah. but those were the days. I mean, I went by myself to Spain for four months, five months for school, to the UK, to Oxford for school, mm. um, then traveled. Like I, I had this unlimited URL pass as part of my scholarship. Oh. So literally every weekend and sometimes longer than the weekend, I would just jump on a train and go wherever I wanted. Or maybe I would fly to Athens, Greece, and then make my way back slowly. It was free travel. It was eight bucks a night for hostels back then. Like this is before the Euro. So your dollar, I'm not that old kids, but it was right, (laughs) right, right, right before the Euro. Uh And um, the dollar went far. So I would just sleep in uh, train cars at night sometimes, going from place to place. And I loved it. So I felt fine. I would not do that today. Right. I'm right. not advising that for anyone now, but... And tell us about bad. that scholarship that really changed your life. So this is called the Yeager Scholars okay. uh, Program, named after Chuck Yeager, huh. the great Chuck Yeager, sure. who is from Hamburg, West Virginia, which is right outside of Huntington, where okay. Marshall is. Uh, he actually never graduated from college, believe it or not. Wow. But loved the area, comes back a lot when he was alive, which was... Uh, for a long, long time, right? The guy was almost a century old when he finally passed. Uh, total hero. Broke the sound barrier. Yeah. For those of you kids who <laughs> came to school after the Department of Education ruined your <laughs> curriculum, so you don't know that. You don't know about greatness, but but Chuck Yeager exemplified like greatness. And um, So I met him several times. Nice. Every year he would come back to the school to do dinner with us. And um, So yeah, it was four years, all expenses paid, plus my tuition. So it was the best deal going. I had more than one full tuition offer for academics. And so I took that because they offered a year abroad, which is how I got to Europe. Okay. Yeah. So I have to say that was my, my ticket out, you know, because I grew up, you know, what what the federal government calls beneath the poverty line. Mm -hmm. Um, I never thought I was impoverished. I don't think Americans are by and large impoverished no matter what their income, because uh, I don't remember ever worrying about where my next meal was coming from or whether or not I have a roof over my head. But I was the first in my family on either side to go to college uh, and complete. There were a couple of them who had gone and taken some classes, I guess, but it was a big deal. Got that degree, didn't owe any money. That's what happened. 40 countries you've been to. Which one stands out above the others besides the good old US of A? Oh yeah, <laughs> this is the best. I tell you, after where all I've seen, mm-hmm. I still love my home the best. Probably the one that I go back to in my mind the most is Italy. I mean, it's magical for all the reasons you expect. The Mediterranean Sea, Cinque Terre, the food. It's, it's kind of uh, magical and medieval still. Mm-hmm. Prague, Czech Republic, was probably the best city because it was the very, one of the very few that was not destroyed by World War II. So, I mean, you have you know, hundreds of years old castles, buildings, statues you're, you're stepping back in time uh so it was beautiful That's but cool. uh the uk and scotland are also 
very special for their own reasons. All right. Yeah. Going back to your childhood, your earliest memory was jumping on the bed <laughs> and singing Pink Floyd's The Wall. Yeah, you know, my parents were very young. When I was born, they were teenagers. Oh, wow. And so they were rock and rollers. So the radio was on in our house, and I think, I think we never turned it off, ever. <laughs> so I knew all the classic rock by heart. Uh-huh. By the time I was old enough to recite lyrics, I mean, I was very young. Mom says, I logged a thousand hours of Led Zeppelin while yet in utero. Nice. In the car, she estimates. Oh, you were raised right from before you were born. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> I was already conditioned. Like, you know, now it's a big deal. Uh-huh. If you're pregnant, you're supposed to put the headphones on your abdomen right. with the classical music. Mm-hmm. What's the difference? Jimmy Page, Mozart. You know <laughs> what I mean? It's, it's comparable. So, so awesome. anyway, that was, that was that. Yeah. That is really cool. When you were a kid growing up, you and I have a similar story in that we both knew at an early age that we wanted to be on the radio for mm-hmm. a living. So were you like me? Like, did you have like a tape recorder and you would go around and, and annoy your friends and family and try to talk to them and interview them and stuff like that? Or, or were you, uh, what was your childhood like in that realm? I made lots of tapes. <laughs> I had my own microphone, which was dirt cheap, you know. Yeah. And um, but good enough. And in my mind, I've been doing a talk show in my head for yeah. as long as I can remember. And so people kind of thought I was weird because I would walk around kind of talking to myself. <laughs> and that's two reasons. Number one, I was doing a show in my mind, even as a little kid. And number two, I was, I was an only child, so mm-hmm. there was no one there to shame me and say, stop talking out loud to yourself, you know. Uh, <laughs> That's what happened to you and I. Yeah. We grew up as only children. Yeah. And you had to entertain yourself. <laughs> you totally had to entertain yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Did you, did you have in your bedroom maybe a setup with like a, a boom box and a, like almost like your own little radio station? I mean, that's what I did. I had I, my... my my bedroom was literally a radio station. Yeah, with all of your stuffed animals or whatever is your audience. Of course. Yeah, and then like at the county fair, you know, they have all these booths, and their the local radio station would always set up at the fair. I would spend all my fair time, uh-huh. year after year, just hanging out with them wow. and just listening, watching, learning, um, thinking I could do this. I'm like seven years old. One of the things that you responded with in the email that I send out ahead of time, I love how you talked about. When you were five years old, you realized, man, I'm, I could do a better job than this Donahue guy. Yeah. <laughs> Which, how do some of these folks get, I'm with you on that. I'm absolutely with you on that. Because I remember my grandmother used to watch Donahue every day. And I would just sit there and be like, this guy's, no. Why? He's nasty why? and does... mean and obnoxious. Like it's, it, He's hard to watch. Uh-huh. He's hard to look at. He's hard to listen to. And you said, I can do this. Yeah, I'm a kid. I'm like, why do they let this man on TV? This is terrible. As soon as he came on, I would turn him. Yet, he had a a hit show. People seem to like this contentious, mean, angry. influence he had in the, what, late 70s and 80s? Yeah. So did Jerry Springer, actually. Right. Right. No, that's true. Yeah. Also from Southern Ohio. Ah, yes. The mayor of Cincinnati. Until he bounced the check to the prostitute. And it all came crashing down, so then he had to go into entertainment, radio, and, and TV. The moral you know? of the story is make sure you have <laughs> enough money in the bank yeah. before you write that check to the lady of the night. Uh, yes. Oh, my goodness. So did you go to college then for broadcasting, or what were you in no. studying? No, I knew I was going to law school Okay. because I had shown some promise in uh, the mock trial and enjoyed it. And because I was good at school, 
I felt there was no acceptable path except that I would go on to an advanced degree. Plus, the first four years were free, so right. I could afford it, kind of, <laughs> kind of. So law seemed like the perfect fit, and it is. I mean, even now, I read law you know, every week. I'm using my law degree for something, including in my show, because you know my show is very educational. Mm-hmm. Um, it's real. It's not a yelling, screaming political show. I try to be very conversational, matter of fact, but it's, bring it down, you know, from like the what's going on in the Supreme Court or whatever to people who are not lawyers. I think one word to describe your show is informative. Oh, thank you. You learn yes. quite a bit from just listening to your show. And I just think it's fascinating that you grew up basically wanting to be in radio. You didn't go to school for that, but right. yet you ended up doing radio. Yeah. But obviously there's a lot of points in between. Yeah. I want to touch on one of your early jobs, though, real quick before I forget of uh, holding the uh, the stop and the go sign or whatever at construction sites. Oh, yeah. But you wrote in there, picking up roadkill, they actually made you do that? That's part of that job? Yes, yes, it is. At the Ohio Department of Transportation. Oh, no. Kids. Okay, so I'm, I'm a teenager, right? Uh-huh. And these are like coveted jobs because at the time, they paid double the minimum wage. Oh, wow. Well, that was impossible to find mm-hmm. in Appalachia, Ohio. So uh, I landed one of these jobs. I was so happy. And most of the time... I was the gal in the jeans and the sunglasses <laughs> holding the sign. Slow, stop, right? And then on a bad day, I had to pick up roadkill because uh. we get calls. It was the maintenance crew. Um, and then sometimes we laid asphalt, which is a miserable job, or we yeah. laid pipe um, or gravel. I'm not cut out for manual labor, right? I'm not a big woman. <laughs> and so this was tough. And uh, I was the runt on the team and uh-huh. the youngest. And the only female, except for one other, I think, uh, which is a common theme, recurring theme in my life. Mm-hmm. I'm often the youngest in the room and the only female in the room, which I don't begrudge. I mean, right. it's just the way it's been. But, sure. but how, how do they treat you on the uh, road crew there? You know, amazingly, they were pretty well behaved. Is like, it probably because you were so young, huh? Maybe so, yeah. yeah. Maybe there was a, a limit to what you can do to a teenager. Right. Uh, perhaps there, is, there are legal limits in Ohio for that. Not in West Virginia, uh, but in Ohio. All right. There's a little bit of a limit. But like, remember uh, in Kentucky, Loretta Lynn got married at 13 or something? Oh, gosh. Yeah. Right. right across the river. So, you know, people are a little, um, number one, less uh, um, subject to mores. Mm-hmm. They make their own. The great thing about home, I think, is there is no political correctness. Like, they're checked out of all that, you know? Like, we exist on our own in the hills, uh, up the hollers. And so people say what they want. They think what they want. They, so, as far as they're concerned, is their right as an American to say and do what they want. And when I go home, I miss that so much. Like, I realized how much it, I came from there like that. I'll die like that. But I feel like an alien a lot of the time. Like, in corporate America, mm-hmm. in a law firm, working on Capitol Hill, I felt like I was the only person out there who had the courage to speak my mind sometimes. And I'm really thinking it doesn't require much courage for crying out loud. Like I would drive to work every day in Washington. I would pass all of Arlington National Cemetery. You're looking at all those graves and thinking as a tiny fraction of the people who some of them pay the ultimate price to have freedom, yet we can't put ourselves out there and speak while we can. Mm-hmm. And this is years ago, you know. So anyway, I, I promise you I'm freewheeling and free speaking because I came from there. Right. There's a lot to do with it. And that is a part of America where that spirit from 200 years ago 
still exists. Right. There's still a few pockets like that, and that is definitely one of them. You mentioned Washington, D.C. You've spent some time there. How is it working in D.C., specifically at the Capitol? Tell us some of the jobs that you've held in the nation's capital. So I was a counsel there, a legal counsel, first to a member of a judiciary committee, and then later he became a ranking member and then a chairman of a subcommittee, the Constitution subcommittee. So I was his counsel for that. And who, who are we talking about? This is Trent Franks from okay. Arizona, right. chairing. And um, the first thing I learned or noticed when I got there was that the primary motivation of people there, whether members of the Congress or their staff, is fear. Fear. Everybody was constantly afraid of what the press was going to write about them, what the press is going to say about their, their opening statement, whether or not someone saw them at a restaurant speaking to the wrong person. I was, I was really shocked. This is like the first week or two before it hit me like, what are y'all afraid of? Like, what's going to happen? What's the worst that's going to happen? And the answer is, right, some dishonest media person will write a story about you. Well, that means you're doing your job. Hmm. Like half of the country knows to discount bad media, but, but that was my first lesson was like, these people are all fearful. I cannot relate. And I thought we were there to solve problems. I soon learned, right? Because <laughs> I was in my 20s back then. Mm -hmm. um, no, we are not here to solve problems. In fact, we're here to throw up every kind of obstacle to solving problems, whether it's, <laughs> you know, kicking things down the road or it's let's order a study of the problem instead of actually addressing the problem with legislation or, or whatever. There's, there's a thousand and one ways to like not fix a problem uh -huh. and, and, and speak beautifully uh, without saying anything. And so I learned a lot about all of that. And when I finally left, I remember one of the, one of the meetings where I finally decided to leave. One of the senior staffers said to the room of our team, people don't get excited about this hearing, okay? Keep your powder dry. This is all theater, all right? It's just theater. Wow. This is not going to happen. It's not going to go to the floor the way it is. Just, just, this is just theater. And you know, it's not the first time I'd heard that speech. And it made me so mad. And I thought, I haven't poured my life into becoming what I am and being here to do theater. I actually came here to do something worthwhile. And so rather than deceive the people, and so that was kind of my experience. And I'm like, you know what? That was your tip off. It was time to get out, huh? Yeah. Like, cause, cause everyone was so conditioned for it, right? It's not like someone put their hand up or jumped up and said, whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm not, I'm not doing theater anymore. Like, like everyone's like, mm -hmm, okay. Cause that's what the boss said to do. What percentage? Not Trent Franks, not Trent Franks. Not Trent, okay. <laughs> of, of the 535 members that make up the US Congress, how many of them do you think are actually there to, I don't wanna say solve problems because some have bad intentions through that, but how many do you think are well-intentioned Americans trying to help the country? To be perfectly forthright with you, first of all, I only knew half of the House, and that was the Republican half. Mm -hmm. So I don't, I can't really speak for the other side. I'm not entirely sure what they're all there for, but I have some ideas. Um, <laughs> you know, and on our side, I really believe, I mean, I, I got to know dozens and dozens of them. Some of them, and the majority, I thought were great people. I thought they were wonderful. I mean, uncommonly sacrificial, hardworking. But unfortunately, a lot of times, those are the members who will never get to the top. Mm -hmm. Because you get to the top, particularly in leadership, by being transactional. You know, Boehner used to call it openly the transactional side of the business. So there's the policy, 
And then there's the appropriations. Uh, even more time spent on fundraising. Right. So if you're not good at fundraising, chances are very high you will not be in the leadership. So the answer is there were a lot of great people there, especially on my committee, which was a Judiciary Committee, which is where most of my work was done, that I focused on. And um, wow, I mean, I felt so honored to get to work with some of those guys. They were awesome. Uh, so there are great people. Okay, good. For sure. All right. Uh, with a conscience, with courage. Sure. So don't be all, all despairing, you know. it's. I still look back on that era as like one of the happiest times in my life. Oh, wow. That's Even good. now. That's yeah. good. So speaking of great people, tell us about your grandmothers. They're my number ones, <laughs> both of them, uh, somehow. <laughs> but yeah, they were the most powerful influences in my life. Uh, one I still have. She's about 86 now. And in good health, Very as far cool. as I can tell, totally COVID resistant, apparently. Never got COVID-19. But one, okay, one of them uh, taught me to read before I was even in kindergarten. So I was reading the newspaper before I got to kindergarten. Cool. Because grandma taught me. Mm -hmm. And the reason she taught me was because, number one, she loved to teach. But two, um, the, the adults in my life always spelled out words to each other when they didn't want me to know what was going on. <laughs> that's, wait a minute. That's, that's what we do at our house with the dogs. Yeah. You know? <laughs> it was a secret language that they had. And they withheld things from me. Oh, no. And so I told grandma, I want to learn how to read. She's like, that's amazing. So she, she taught me. And then the other grandmother, and she, she's the one too who probably, uh, she's the one that took me to church three times a week from mm -hmm. the time I was eight days old. So really, really, really gave me the fundamentals. She, you know, all that, all that they can do is give you the tools. I mean, the fundamentals for life. And either you use them or you don't. But she gave me all the fundamentals. Then the other grandmother is kind of like the political grandmother. Like if she's reincarnated, she used to be Sun Tzu kind of person. <laughs> so she's very like into C-SPAN. She watches it like a hawk. And she lets me know everything that's going on. She used to call me when I worked on Capitol Hill. And she would be very unhappy and disappointed in me because I didn't know you know, what Diane Feinstein was saying on the other side of the hill in a hearing. Oh. She's like, this is so important. How can you work up there and not know this? And so she'd, she'd tell me what I need to know. And <laughs> she still does. That's awesome to yeah. have those influences in your life. I want to talk about, you know, your hobbies. You like to travel, obviously. When you have time, you like to take dance lessons. Well, I'm going to segue from that to your most embarrassing moment. Oh, no. Did I put that in writing? <laughs> I mean, we could skip it if you want, but I, I, I don't know. Do you want to tell the story? Remind me which one. Oh, no. Multiple embarrassing stories. There there are so many, yes. It's it's the one where you, um, I guess, didn't have your tights on or something oh. like that. Okay. Apparently, I'm, I'm the only person in Scioto County that knows this, but okay, there's this big pageant back home, <laughs> and I mean, every little girl oh, they're wants gonna know to now. be... They're going to know it now. Now I can be told. Because this is a, it's called the River Days pageant. You want to be Miss River Days. Everyone in the county, there are 13 county schools, they all want to be the girl that their high school selects to go compete in this months-long pageant that culminates in a, a dance competition <laughs> and other things. And um, so, yeah, imagine like all 13 county schools get to be in the big gymnasium of the university back home. Wow. You all have your sections that cheer you on. And so you go up and give speeches and whatever. Anyway... In the dance competition, here's the point. Mm -hmm. I don't know. All of my stuff was laid out. I had to quickly change out of my evening gown into the dance thing. And somehow I forgot, or it wasn't there, <sighs> to put on the undergarments. 
of the of the uh, outfit that you wear to dance. <laughs> which I did not realize, did, of course. Did you go back later to see if they were back there or or Oh uh, no. Just... When the when the competition was over or when my dance piece was over, I had to run back in and change clothes again. Uh-huh. And it's when I went to change clothes, I took the dress off. I was like, whoa. Oh, no. I didn't put on the under parts. Yeah. yeah. So, anyway, I was horrified. Can you imagine? I was I, like. And no one came up to you, though, to say. I started running to everyone. Oh, boy. Right, to my pageant mother, to my mom, to people. I'm like, did you notice anything unusual about <laughs> my, my appearance on stage? They're all like, <laughs> no. No, because I'm wearing a dress. And you think they they were telling the truth? They weren't just oh, yeah, straight face. Yeah, okay. I asked my my girlfriends, uh-huh. my Nobody. boyfriend. <laughs> I asked everybody. Did you notice anything a little weird? Did, wait, did you win? I was a runner up. Oh, okay. I, I was not Miss Riverdays. I was the first runner up. So, but <laughs> so nobody noticed. I asked like a thousand people. Uh-huh. They're like, we don't have to talk, talk about it because I had a dress yes. on. That, thank God hit just beneath the knee. So even though I was being thrown up in the air by the sky and spun around or whatever, <laughs> nobody saw anything. Uh-huh. But I was very, let's just say, it, it threw me off balance for the rest of the pageant because I, I was bet. totally horrified. Yeah, I so, bet you were. Yeah. I, I, boy, thank goodness the internet, you know, and, and viral videos weren't <laughs> a thing, right? right? I'm so thankful oh that my like gosh. I came of age right before that really kicked off. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I love when you listed your five possessions that you would keep, you know, list the Bible, um, your doggies. One of them's with us in the studio right now. She's here. Yeah. Which one is it? She- well, she's she is Cagney the hey. Schnoodle. Oh, wait, hold on. There was there was a second dog once oh, to, I'm sorry. named Lacey. Uh Cagney and Lacey. And if you're not if you're under forty, you don't know. That was a TV show from the eighties mm-hmm. to Pistol packing ladies, and uh, that's what I name my dogs for. Anyway, I lost Lacey, an untimely death. So I just have Cagney now, and she goes everywhere with me, as you know. So I come to the studio. She's right here in her little Sherpa. Hi, Cagney. Let's see here. Um, your phone. Yeah, absolutely. That's a, that's a given. Family photo, and I've never gotten this answer, but I saw this, and I had just, when I was reading this, I had just applied chapstick yes <laughs> chapstick should be 20 bucks a tube for yeah. as important as it is yes i mean i that is one thing i hate is when my lips are chapped and they're burning and so i thought that was just a brilliant answer just, that drives me bananas if i don't have it i don't have many other physical ailments or weaknesses mm-hmm. so <laughs> let's that's a, that's a good one so tell us about a scary bus ride you had between Nashville and Myrtle Beach. It was a 17-hour trip? Yes. What was that all about? So I was on my senior trip after school. Uh, A friend of mine said, hey, let's go to Nashville because I need to do some things there. And we're already at Myrtle Beach. I said, great. So we drive to Nashville. I have to come back. I'm running into the bus station to get my ticket back. And they're like, they're boarding now. Like, they're boarding now. You got to go now. So I paid them. Didn't even look around. Didn't think twice. I get on this bus at like 1130 at night. 17 years old. 17 years old. I'm wearing like a summer, you know, outfit, real light summer cotton, just a skirt. Um, I get on this bus. Hmm. It turns out it was like all men except one like old grandmother who I sat beside in the front seat. She seemed harmless, but they were all like young men, very aggressive looking at me covered in the tattoos, which back then was not 
typical, right? This is right. this is a long time ago. <laughs> this is before the tattoo explosion. Now it doesn't sure. mean anything. But now, back then, now, now it's like standard uh, standard fare on people. Back then, you had to earn your tattoos, right. <laughs> and you earn them in the big house, right? Uh-huh. With a room without a view. So, uh, yeah. So I learned over the course of the 17-hour drive where I didn't sleep a wink. I bet. Uh, that they had all just gotten out of prison. <laughs> Yeah. And this so, was their first ride, huh? Apparently what you do is you, you get out of prison, you go to the bus station to get home, because I guess they, back then, or maybe they still do, give them money for a bus fare to get home. When you leave the penitentiary, you get handed Interesting. bus fare. I boarded the, the pin bus, right? The, the penitentiary bus. <laughs> Everyone was awake, just staring at me, mm-hmm. probably because I was the only woman there mm-hmm. under the age of 85, <laughs> you know, and... Anyway, it was unnerving. I'm just saying, after that, I said to myself, I will take a beating before I ever board another Greyhound bus. Like, I'm never doing that again. Of course, I was by myself. I was right. I was just, people that age, kids that age, you know, their brains aren't fully developed yet for to assess risk. Mm-hmm. I guess you're 25 before that part of the brain really, really fully develops. Oh, wow. One of many things I've done uh, as a young single woman that was not wise. Okay. Well, it's clear that like I have a guardian angel because because most pretty much nothing bad's ever happened to me in the way of crime, you know, right. I mean, a violent crime. But now you have had experiences with, I guess, natural disasters. Yeah. Talk to us about <laughs> tubing on the Shenandoah River and, and what happened there. Uh, natural disasters follow me. You should just know that wherever I go. Oh, see? Extreme weather follows. I break electronics, but your thing is I do that weather. too. I okay. do that too. <laughs> your thing but it's is not weather. like physically breaking. I just like I have a demon that jumps into all electronics when I right. get here and they all malfunction all the time. Mm-hmm. Um so I know that feeling. Yeah. So this is one of many examples, but this was the most life threatening probably. Some friends said in Washington, let's go tube on the I think it was Harper's Ferry. Uh, West Virginia kind of river, okay. which is a thing to do. It's cool. You get in a tube, you drink beer, and you float down the river. So we get there. Uh, they're perfectly sunshiny day. It's beautiful. Perfect weather. So I'm the only hillbilly in the group. They're all from Boston. Yeah. And I get in the, they're all in the water. I was up on this island in the center of the river. I'm telling you, because I'm from the hills, I know this. I can smell the rain coming. Mm-hmm. And we're behind this hill. Then I smelled it, I could hear it, and then this feeling like a wall of hot air hit me. I mean, I feel like someone opened a big oven, you know, and, and all the hot air just came out. And I'm standing on that island, they're all in the water. I said, I think there's a storm coming. And they're like, it's a sunny day, it's beautiful, what are you talking about? I said, I can hear rain, can't you hear that? No. So then I saw the wall of black coming our way, I'm like, look. There is a storm coming. We need to get out of the water now. They would not listen to me. So I'm like, y'all stay here. I'm going to get down the river. Were they younger than 25? No. Whoa. They were about 30. <laughs> oh, so, so they should have known better. Should have known better. They had developed in the brain there. That They're risk. from Boston. They don't know anything. <laughs> so they don't listen. I get in the little tube. I'm telling you, I get, you know, one minute down this river. And the storm came down like right out of Forrest Gump. When it rains down and it rains sideways and all that, mm-hmm. it was so bad. I couldn't see five to 10 foot in front of me and there was lightning everywhere. Imagine being on a tube in a river with lightning everywhere. You got so nowhere to go. No, it was all rapids. So I 
decide because this isn't a river like the Ohio River like I grew up on. It's not a, a, a you know half a mile wide and super treacherous where you can't get out because the current's so bad. I go to the side and try to get out and I'm climbing up over these rapids. My fingernails are coming off from clawing at the rapids. Oh. My toes and my everything was bloody. My knees, my legs, my hands, everything. I lost everything. My hat, my shoes, my sunglasses. So I finally managed to claw my way out of this river. And I'm standing on the side of the river. And everyone else was the same. You know, they about never got out. Because there were several companies and people on this river. Mm-hmm. Bottom line, some guy fell on a rock because they're very slippery. Hit his head. Yeah. They laid him out. They called Life Flight to come in and get him, but they could not get to him because the storm was so bad. So, like, the helicopter kept coming over, but couldn't get to him. So he died. Oh, yeah. Like, these things, things like that don't happen often on a tubing trip. This is a mellow tubing trip. This was not a level five whitewater raft, which mm-hmm. I've done in West Virginia. They've got everything. Um, yeah, I recommend all of it, actually, but <laughs> don't go drunk. <laughs> don't don't go with anyone who is drunk and get out of the storm. Like so that happened and it was a historic storm it turns out. So Washington DC was out of power for 3 to 7 days after the storm depending on what part of the city you lived in. Wow. So people will remember this if they were there this is sometime between 2010 and 2012. Um yeah, like historic storm and guess where I was? In the center of a river, right? Which I do once every 5 years. So I either have really good luck or really bad luck. Mm-hmm. Well, see, I've gone whitewater rafting before when I was younger, like during summer camp or something like that. And the first time I went, it was fabulous. It was the greatest experience of my life. And I should have stopped then. Yeah. Because the next year, <laughs> I fell out of the boat. I hit mm-hmm. my head on the rocks like mm-hmm. you described. I was wearing a helmet at least. Yeah. Uh, there was no alcohol involved. There were no storms involved. I'm just a klutz uh, when, whenever I'm trying to do something like that. But taking it back there where that first experience was just great you have amazing beginner's luck right that's that's yeah. just kind of like a a, a, a hallmark of jackie daly <laughs> tell us some of your uh, experiences with beginner's luck um i'm famous for beginner's luck first of all <laughs> the first time i ever shot skeet or trap uh with a shotgun was at a congressional staff shootout exxon and nra put it on I took first place in the women's competition. I'm telling you, there were there were hundreds of people at this thing. There were a lot of women <laughs> in this thing. And you've never done this. I'd never done this before. But <laughs> what you have to understand is that I started out really bad. True story. I hope this helps you all. Okay, if you if you don't rem- remember anything else I say today, remember this. I did my practice rounds. I only shot 10 percent. And these guys who were working at the uh, this station at the shooting range were making fun of me in front of the whole group. They're like, why did you even come out of here today? Oh. Like, you're just throwing lead out there. You don't know what you're doing. You shouldn't even be here. And they're mouthing off to me bad. So I look at this guy. I say, okay, big shot. Do you have anything constructive to say? What's your advice? He said, I have been the top marksman in Maryland for the last three years. Here's my advice. Here's the part you, you remember, okay? He says, put your cheek on that gun, mm-hmm. which I was not doing apparently. Next, he said, don't use the sights. Just use the full barrel as your sight. Mm-hmm. He said, plant that onto your target for three seconds, count to three, then squeeze. I said, okay. So I did that in the competition. I shot 58%, up from 10%. That 
That doesn't sound great, but it was enough for first place in the women's. Very good. So at the end of the competition, they give me this big bag full of gifts that I'd won. As my prize, I get this trophy. It was cool. amazing. So I'm walking out to my car. I can barely even carry <laughs> my winnings. <laughs> and there's the guy who mouthed off to me. And he says, how'd you do? So I said, you won't believe it. I said, I took first place in this competition because of what you taught me. You taught me in five seconds how to go from 10% to 58%. And he's like, are you telling the truth? I said, yeah. I said, this is my trophy and this is my bag. And I won it because I came in first place. He was amazed. That is so cool. Yeah. So I just happened to have a great teacher who was a jerk, but still some of the best teachers are. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so yeah. That's great. Your luck doesn't end there. Tell us about uh, the first time you played in a golf scramble. Oh yeah. Well, that was, um, I was uh, in law school and working for a firm. They have this <laughs> golf outing, big scramble for the whole firm and the whatever the associates and interns and everything. I had never played golf before. It was my first golf game ever. <laughs> that was going to be my question. Had you even played before? Never. <laughs> I've been taken to the driving range once when I was 18. I'm now in my 20s. So, but they, it's a scramble and the idea is to participate and have fun. So it's okay. Anyway, bottom line, at the end of it, I won the award for top drive for women and top putt for women. And there were some women playing wow. in the firm who had been golfing all their life. So I was very proud of myself. I won like this beautiful jacket and I won a, uh, a putter that still is in the plastic I've never used, but I still have it. Oh, wait. Yeah. You got to get out there and uh, that's, you might have a gift. You never know. Are you, are you afraid to, have, have you played golf since? Uh, I've played like, I think five games in my life. Didn't go as well. Well, I mean, it was fine. Okay. I, I'm not great because I chop or whatever. I, I, I hit well, but it's to the right or to the left or something. Mm -hmm. um, they said I have a natural swing. And I, I've learned you infuriate everyone on a golf course who's a serious golfer. You say, well, yeah, it's just like softball, right? <laughs> you swing a ball bat the same way. Oh, What's no. the difference, right? Keep your head down, swing through the ball, turn your hips. It's all the same stuff. And, you know, shift your weight on your legs. What's the difference? That's why I'm good at hitting a golf ball mm. because I played softball for 10 years. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I'm like, it's the same thing. So tell us about fly fishing. Oh, yeah. So <laughs> I never fly fished till like three years ago. My other half, I think we had just met. And you're speaking of Doug Deason. That's right. Mm -hmm. So he is like a very avid fly fisherman. I've never known anyone who obsesses about fly fishing the way he does. He's very serious. So he took me out, taught me the basics. And again, you know what? I'm sorry. Throw in that rod. <laughs> Oh, or whatever no. you call it, however, okay. you, however you describe the action. It's not much different than throwing a softball, right? You <laughs> step forward, you turn your hips, all that. He's like, no, that's all wrong. You're supposed to stand still. And you're, you know, it's a very, very um, controlled motion of just the arm. That's it. Mm. And that's what any real fly fisherman will tell you. Well, I don't do it that way because I don't take my fly fishing very seriously. I do it just like I do with the softball. And um, so what? I caught the biggest fish. <laughs> I'm just telling you. And it's not that like the biggest fish is the makes me the best fisher woman. I'm not. I barely fish. But usually, I'm just telling you, in Wyoming, in Canada, I typically catch the biggest fish. Wow. I have a talent for that. And I don't, I only fish if it's warm. You know, like, I, I'm not like, <laughs> I'm a big baby about it. That's funny. I'm not serious at all. So with this beginner's luck, have you ever made a trip to Vegas? 
I'll tell you what. Um, yes, I have. How did and, it work out? Okay, you, I'm not going to lose credibility with you because you're not going to believe what I'm about to tell you. You are not <laughs> going to believe me. I'm going to tell you anyway because it's a great story. Okay. Okay, pretty much I don't believe in gambling myself. Okay. Um, I will gamble other people's money. That's what I was, I was, that was going to be my follow-up. Can I give you some money to take to Vegas for me? I learned that in Washington, right? Politicians <laughs> only gamble with other people's money. Nice. So I had a friend with me, Orthodox Jewish, didn't really believe in gambling, but he's like, this will be an intercultural experience. Let's just go in and just figure out how this all works. I'm like, you know, yeah, I'm kind of a religious person. I'm like, I'm not going to gamble my money, but I'll go with you. So he's like, it's just for fun. It's just, it's just an experience. Mm. I said, fine. I said, okay, first of all, go to the craps table because everyone knows you actually can win at the craps table. There are places you cannot win, you know, except a very exceptional, you know, luck. But apparently your odds are better there. So we go over there. He was a math major. I was an economics major, okay, and a history major. So I said to him, I don't see the point in winning unless you win big. So I looked around and quickly looked at the um, the odds that were on the table. Okay. And I saw Snake Eyes. I knew it was called that because I'd seen a movie. And it said like <laughs> one in 31. And I'm like, well, that's a pretty high odd. So compared to other things you can bet on. So I'm like, go big. Put it on Snake Eyes. There are four people working this table and no one else was there but the two of us. He said, nah, not really. He's like, I actually want to win and keep going for a while. Like, do what you want. He rolls it. Snake Eyes. And all the people at the table were like, whoa, you should have listened to her. And he's like, yeah, she's lucky. He's like, all right, well, what should I do now? I said, snake eyes. He's like, that's crazy. I said, I, again, win big or go home, hmm. you know? And probably if I'd studied the table more, there were things with higher odds, but that was a high odd. Anyway, he's like, I'm not doing that. He did his thing. He rolled snake eyes again. And the people at the table were like, whoa. Has he started vomiting at this point? Uh, no, not yet. <laughs> oh, no. So then he's like, I can't believe it. He's like, what would our money be right now if I'd listened to you? Both roles. I'm like, I don't know. He's the math guy. So then. Did he figure it out ever? So, oh, oh, it keeps going. Oh, no. So then he's like, what should I do? I said, put it on snake eyes. And the whole table, the people working the table were like, no, man, no, no, no. Uh -huh. And he's like. He's, he is, he's a math genius. His dad's a math professor. He's like, Jackie, the, the chances I'm going to roll this again. Do you know what that would be? I'm like, I have no left brain. I have no idea what it would be. <laughs> I'm, I'm just feeling my way through this. He's like, that's crazy talk. He rolled snake eyes again. Three times in a row, two of the people working at the table Oh no. thought I was like a voodoo person. Uh, like I had like supernatural did powers. Did the pit boss come over there and what's going on? I'm telling you that you know, the first time they were like, oh man. You're awesome. The second time they're like, whoa. The third time, I could see fear in their eyes. Like two of them, these two women, they were like, there's something with this woman. They're like, <laughs> no, there's not. I think positively, which is like the, it's a signature trait of mine. I'm, I'm very optimistic when others are not. And my whole life plays that out. I believe in the long shot. I play the long shot. If I don't win big, I don't want to win kind of thing. Yeah, that's my problem in Vegas. <laughs> that's why <laughs> yeah. I always come back lighter than when I left. So... How much did he win? Uh, he won nothing, but he said he did the math. What? He didn't. Wait, he, the third time he didn't put money down? No, 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 no. What is happening? Well, he put money down, but not what I told him to do. So, so anyway, he adds up what would have happened mm -hmm. if he would have listened to me mm -hmm. three times. 
it, it was a small amount of money that he bet, we would have come out with like $75,000. Yeah. So, you and, still know this guy? Yes. You give him crap about this all the time? No, we haven't talked about it in a long time. No, but what but, I'm saying is the next time that you give him advice and he doesn't take it, just, just <laughs> say snake eyes, bro. Snake yeah, eyes. right. I don't know what it means. Mm -hmm. And I don't gamble. So tell us about the boats and the sharks and the... That, that was a harrowing experience. Uh, oh, in Australia. In Australia, yeah. Yeah, so I had never sailed before. <laughs> and so I guess this is another luck story in a way, but huh. um, I'm with friends. We are uh, in a on an island chain in a place called Shark Refuge. Why is it called Shark Refuge? I didn't know. I had some thoughts about it. So we are pulling out. I'm not driving. A friend of mine is trying to get through this channel. And what happens is when the tide is up, you can't see the coral beneath the water. Right. When the tide is down, you can actually see it somewhat. Well, that means if, if the tide is up, you'd better watch that map and follow it perfectly or else you can hit the coral because it's obscured. Mm -hmm. He hits the coral. Mm. Brand new yacht, three months old. This would have been me as the captain of that boat. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, but talk about your bad luck. Mm. We all, when that thing hit the, hit the coral, we all went flying. Um, cause it's, it, it stops you, right? It's like a, a car wreck kind of, so everything went flying, the cups and the food and, and within a few minutes, the mast of this yacht, which was, should be straight up and down has begun to tip, 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 tip. And that boat is about to turn over because it's taken on water in the bottom. So we go down, you know, underneath and there's water on the floor and this thing is going down. So I was like, whoa, I'm going to take the purses, the passports, everything, throw it into the dinghy, take the dinghy to shore, which is not far, anchor it so at least our stuff doesn't go down with the boat. But I can't leave the boat because you can't abandon ship. It's actually a crime or at least a big civil penalty or something in Australia. So mm. they're like, you have to come back. I put this boat on the side with our identifying information and money. And I get to swim back to the boat. By now, the mast of the yacht is like, literally fallen so far over it's about a foot off the water the boat is on its side in shark refuge so i jump off the side of the um the bank when i did i hit my ankle on the coral which if you don't know coral cuts right like glass yeah like glass so i'm bleeding all in the water i mean i, I can tell i'm hurt because coral hurts too when it when it cuts it doesn't cut you know neatly or, or cleanly mm-hmm Point is, I know I'm bleeding in the water. It's known as shark refuge. In shark refuge, <laughs> yeah. I'm swimming toward the boat, and seriously, I'm I'm praying to God, like, okay, I know you don't owe me anything, but can I please make it to this boat alive? So I swim to the boat with my shoes on, which is tough. I get to the boat, and, and I realize I'm wearing the, the bikini that has at the end of the strings these really beautiful gold marbles. They kind of float in the water. They're very pretty. They're like fishing lures, mm -hmm. right? Like I'm like, this is not what you wear in Shark Refuge. And I get there to the boat and my friends are fishing off the side of the boat. They're hanging on the boat from the side of the boat and just fishing with like squid and stuff they've got in the freezer just to pass the time until we get rescued because we've called the rescue people. I said, you are chumming the water with me in the water, oh. swimming to the boat, I'm bleeding. I've got lures on my shoulders. Oh. You know, it was crazy. I, I think I've, I've sensed a pattern here. It's kind of a stretch on one of them, but <laughs> but follow me here. 
you had the 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 river disaster. Yeah. You had the ocean disaster. Yes. You had the bus ride to Myrtle Beach. This is where I'm stretching it. It's on the ocean. Okay. <laughs> Can you maybe stay away from the water? Because that know, seems to be the issue here. Maybe it is. And I've always been attracted to water. Mm. <clears throat> but yeah, I'm really, I was, I was born of the land. I'm not really made for it. Okay. Yeah. So I think you're right. I like your, I, just, I love this selection for going back in history. Someone you'd like to meet, John Adams. Yeah. He seems like he would be awesome. He was not only the second president, but also probably had like the biggest personality of the group. I enjoy that. Mm-hmm. I've always liked big personalities. So he was like super smart, but also entertaining, also courageous, absolutely fearless. Mm-hmm. So it seemed uh, when it came to taking on the king in England, had a son who became president later. Um, which means it's they weren't just a family of privilege where, you know, the oftentimes the the first generation makes it or whatever, and then the second generation fizzles out. It's it, it's a an amazing family that really changed the shape of American history. I would love to have met him of all the people of that era. When you list a regret, it's the fact that you didn't join the military. Yeah. What branch of service would you have gone into? Do you think? Well, I'm not exactly a Marine. Uh, I'm not cut out for roughing it. Yeah. Really? I'm not either. That's why I don't go camping, much less join the armed forces. <laughs> no, yeah. I'm a desk job girl. Okay. Like, I mean, the question is, what is your talent? What is your skill set? What is your best contribution? So, I don't know. I'm good at speaking. I'm good at writing. So, the military would shove me into some communications job or something. Mm-hmm. I, it wouldn't really matter as long as I felt like I'd been, I'd, I was contributing. Right, serving your country, basically. Yeah. Maybe not with guns on the front lines, but in yeah. some sort of support role. Especially because, you know, when I was younger, still young, younger. Um, <laughs> I, I use that a lot, too. When you're getting I to that was, age where you, where you yeah. say, when I was younger. When I was younger. There was a war on, mm-hmm. and um, it was tough to be at home, and I was in law school. I really just feel like I wasn't contributing, you know, mm-hmm. so because the, the so-called war on terror, mm-hmm. that term drives me crazy, mm-hmm. it's not a war on terror, you declare wars on, on nation states or people or groups, you know, anyway, it was happening and I was just having to watch the news, It'd be a bystander to what at the time looked like it could have been the biggest event of our lives, right? Um, people forget how you felt. On 9-11, mm-hmm. when you watch, you know, the plane go into the World Trade Center, second plane into World Trade Center, Pentagon, people forget. At that moment, for all we knew, there were 400 planes in the sky. That's exactly what I, I thought. If they the, all could have come down. I was in Houston at that moment thinking, oh my gosh, Houston's like one of the largest cities in America are buildings around me about to be flown into? That's exactly yeah. what I thought. Yeah. For all we knew, and in the weeks to follow, mm-hmm. people would not fly at the airport. We were worried about crop dusters being poisoned, rivers being poisoned. I mean... Anthrax had, was being delivered to the Capitol. That's right. Mm-hmm. A lot of things were happening that people forget what it felt like in that moment. Yeah. Now now it's you know 20 years later, almost, and... We know that didn't all happen, mm-hmm. but at the time, it was very painful to watch the country be attacked 
and I have to go study civil procedure. You know, it just felt very unimportant. And so I regret that a little. I understand. So all the fun places folks can find you on Twitter, you're at Jackie Daily Host, which again is uh, J-A-C-K-I-D-A-I-L-Y Host on Twitter. Instagram, you're Jackie Daily. Facebook, the Jackie Daily Show. I mean, you're, you're all over the place. And of course, you host uh, the show on Blaze TV. Anything we haven't covered here that we need to go back and discuss? Or, or we pretty much covered all the ground, right? We covered a lot of ground here today. Thanks for coming in. I of really course. appreciate it. All yeah, right. of course. And I mean, people can stay in touch with me. Just Google Jackie Daly <laughs> Show. Comes right up. Subscribe. Okay. Thank you so much. Jackie Daly, thanks for joining me here on At The Mic. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a lot of fun. I hope you enjoyed getting to know about both Kimberly Hubbard and Jackie Daly today. Be sure to check out Kimberly's new book and Jackie's radio show. Well, that's going to do it for the time that we've had together today. Thanks for spending it with me. Next week, Chef Andrew Gruel is going to sit down, and he uh, juggled for me in the middle of our conversation. It was a lot of fun. Whether it translates to audio well or not, I will let you decide. That's going to be next week here on At The Mic with Andrew Gruel. Until then, please go be free, and thank you for listening. This has been At The Mic with Keith, an independent podcast production. Head to atthemikeshow.com for archived episodes, sponsor information, and ways to connect. Hey, did you know there's At The Mike Show merchandise now? Yeah, and it's currently at a big discount for a limited time. Head to atthemikeshow.com, look for the shop button at the top of the page, or make it easier on yourself and head to atthemikeshop.com. Enter in code FIRSTTIMEBUY at checkout, and you're going to get $5 off and free shipping on orders over $55. That's offer code FIRSTTIMEBUY at atthemikeshop.com.